The text is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. It's entitled, Wisdom to Remedy Our Worry. Paul has uh, exhorted the believers to yield to God in order to manifest virtues of the spirit life as we've seen in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 4. There, the Christian is to know, is to be known for having joy in verse 4. Then the Christian is to be known for being gracious in the beginning of verse 5. And thirdly, the Christian is to be known for expecting the Lord's coming, the end of verse 5. So Paul continues to exhort the Philippians on specific Christian virtues that are to be experienced by every believer. Verse 6 on down to 9. No one's exempt. And so Paul now exhorts the Philippians to a life of trust in God's loving care rather than an anxious weary as he was doing in prison himself for the sake of Jesus. Because remember, Paul's in prison right now. And he certainly could be anxious and worried and he's resting in the Lord. Now this would be the same advice to us as we confront the coronavirus that has reached the entire world. Our nation is under great test, but the believers have the greater responsibility to this test, having access to God for his peace and to intercede for those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Nothing will hinder our joy more than worry, trusting in our own strength and reason for life trusting in the arm of flesh. And the Bible is very clear we're not to do so. If we do, it marks a lack of trust in God's love for me. It marks a life of anxiety and unproductiveness. And it marks a lack of faith to believe God. Now the following has been said about worry. Listen careful. Worry is the advanced interest you pay on trouble that seldom come. Worry like a rocking chair will give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. George Mueller in his book, Man of Faith, said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. And so our text for tonight deals with this. Listen carefully. Be anxious for nothing, but by everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. In this text, Paul exhorts the believer to trust in God's loving care for them, and it's characterized by three things. First, the believer is not to give in to worry. This is the problem, beginning in verse 6. Second, the believer is to pay or to pray about everything. This is the process, the rest of verse 6. And then thirdly, the believer is to experience the peace of God. This is the product in verse 7. We begin with the believers not to give in to worry the problem. Listen to the words again, be anxious for nothing. The Apostle Paul confronts the Philippians with a common problem of living anxious in this fallen world system. The world is not perfect, it's not sinless. There's difficulties, there's problems, there's tragedies. Paul used the word anxious in the letter in a good 
and bad sense. The context will determine which it is. Now, the basic meaning of the word anxious means to take thought, uh, have care, or have careful concern. This, in a good sense for one's life or others, resulting in a positive outcome. He used the word to describe the like-mindedness of Timothy to care for the state of the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 20. God does not prohibit normal and responsible concerns, just as the scriptures teach us we can be angry and yet not allow it to cause us to sin in Ephesians 4, 26. The context of the word here, anxious, in our text is in a bad sense, the negative. The meaning of the word anxious means not to be troubled with cares, to be fretful with undue worry. Now, this is what was going on with the Philippians. The word is derived from an old Anglo-Saxon word meaning to strangle or to choke. How adequate for that? How appropriate? Because that's what anxiety and worry does. What a vivid and accurate picture of the hurt, as well as the damage worry inflicts, taking precious time and life away from us. Luke 10, 41 says, and Jesus said to Martha, 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 you are worried and troubled about many things. This is the human nature, the sinful nature, the overconcerned nature, trying to control everything. Now notice the Apostle Paul declared to the Philippians they were to cease from worry. Paul used the present active tense, indicating the process was going on at the time. These are normal people like you and I. They were concerned about Paul being in prison, as you know, in chapter 1. They're being worried about other things. He doesn't name them all. He tells them to stop it. This is an active, uh, an imperative command in the present tense. Literally, it could be translated, stop worrying or stop being anxious. This is because we still possess a sinful nature that makes us vulnerable to needless and hurtful, anxious concerns. No one is above it. If we do not walk in the spirit, we will walk in the flesh. The believer is very capable of living a life that is characterized by an unhealthy preoccupation with the troubles of life. About the past, why, how come? The past is sealed. It cannot be altered. It is a waste of time. About the present, to worry and rob us of the day. About the future, what is going to happen? Well, what if you die? You won't have to worry about anything. And all these concerns that really just rob us of the peace of God. Now, Paul, notice, stated the degree of worry that the Philippians were to worry about. He says, nothing. The word is emphatic, being at the beginning of the sentence, nothing be anxious about. The word nothing literally means not one thing. He indicates and includes real and unreal things. 
and concerns, all things. There are many legitimate concerns in the life of a believer, but not one of them is to rob us of our trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The overwhelming anxiety over certain things does not resolve them nor benefit us as believers. It has been said that nine out of ten times more damage results from worrying than the actual thing. Medically, you know, worry breaks down the resistance to disease, especially the nervous system affecting the digestive tract as well as the heart. Not to mention the sleepless nights, lack of joy, and reducing our effectiveness in everything. Do not give it a psychological, clinical label, but give it a biblical one. I am not trusting God. That's what it is for the believer. So the command implies the ability to not worry because God never commands anything that he doesn't enable us to comply with. Francis C. Ellis telling about a businessman who drew up what he called a worry chart in which he kept a record of his worries. He discovered that 40% of them were about things that probably would never happen. 30% concerned past decisions that he could not now unmake. And 12% dealt with other people's criticism of him and 10% were worries about his health, and he concluded that only 8% of them were really legitimate. So I don't think it's any different with you or myself. One put it this way, all the water in the world, however hard it tries, could never, never sink a ship unless it got inside. All the hardship of this world might wear you pretty thin, but they won't hurt you one least bit unless you let them in. So there is the openness, the embracing of it, the chasing after it, and we are not to do that. Jesus, remember, said we are not to worry about our life, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear in Matthew 6, 25-34. They're on the Sermon of the Mount. Now, he declared God's faithfulness to provide for the birds and the beauty of the lilies of the field, yet the believer's life has greater value to him in verse 26, 28 through 31 of that chapter. So how much more our lives? He points out that worry will not add to you 18 inches of stature. One cubit, 18 inches from the middle finger to the elbow. In verse 32, he pointed out that the Gentiles who know not God worry about these things that he has written there. What we eat, what we're going to dress, what we're going to wear, all this kind of stuff. He pointed out the priority and source of these things. In verse 33, it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be out unto you. The priority of the believer is the kingdom. Lord, what do you have? Lord, what do you want? Lord, what are you doing? Lord, how am I supposed to respond? Give me wisdom. And he'll take care of the rest. He taught not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles, verse 34 says of Matthew 7. Worry is a thief. 
that we court and invite into our lives to rob us willingly? Would you invite a thief to come into your house and to rob you? That's what worry does. There are various things we can worry about during the time of the self-quarantine period for the coronavirus right now. Am I and my wife, my children, perhaps maybe get this virus? We don't know. Just obey the public order right now to minimize your public contact to the least amount of people. If you have a business, stay home, and if the kids are let out from school, stick to it. What about food and water? There is no food or water shortage. People are panicking and hoarding, and even are evil enough to buy more so they can sell it for a higher price. Amazing. How long will we have to be confined to our homes? How long will we not be able to uh, um, carry on normal life? Time will tell. But we as believers are to obey and pray for others, especially the leaders that God give them wisdom in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. And so we must intercede, we must pray, and we must demonstrate the example of trusting God. How long will we not be able to meet in the church until this widespread virus begins to subside? Perhaps they will come up with a vaccine. They're working on it. We pray to God that it does. What about my job, business? Financial stability, it's a real, real problem right now. It's a scary time. As Christians, we must pray for those who have to shut down their businesses. It's done so that there's no contamination because a person could be a carrier. It's devastating to small businesses, to the church not being able to meet, but this is imperative. Listen to um, Paul the Apostles as he gives us a problem with unhealthy and anxious concerns is that the believer is hurting himself by not bringing his thoughts into captivity to trust God. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And again, he's talking to the Corinthians about that arrogance of theirs but bringing our thoughts into captivity, to trust God, to look to God, to ask him to guide us. So the believers to trust God's loving care by not giving in to worry. This is the problem. Now notice, secondly, comes the believers to pray about everything. This is the process. The apostle Paul provided the solution to their problem of anxiety, prayer. Listen. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Paul uses the word prayer in an action of dependency on God. The word but marks the alternative 
that will do away with the problem. Prayer too often is thought of only of asking and receiving things from God rather than, own, uh, than seeing it to align ourselves with the will of God, to tap into the things of God. God is not a genie. He's there to direct, to guide us. There's two ears and one mouth. The ratio speaks for itself. Listen twice as much as we speak. Daniel sought God, as you know, to see how he was going to fit in the plans of God, knowing the captivity was almost up in Daniel 9, 1 and 2. Prayer. Going to the Lord. The word also marks a sharp contrast of self-dependency through worry to Christ's dependency and lack of worry. These are real difficult times that he's talking about. The Philippians were very worried about other things and of Paul. Persecution would break out soon. Difficult times. Now Paul uses two different words for prayer. The word prayer is used of prayer in general, adoration and worship towards God always. The phrase in everything means all things, whatever. Be it buying a car or buying a house or should I move, should I not move? What, what school should my kids go to? We're to lift everything to God in prayer. Lord, direct and guide me so that your will is the one that is being done in our lives. For God has given all things, everything to the believer, everything we have. Now notice the word supplication. It means to ask or petition for special needs. This is different. Different word. The entreatment is of God and the expected answer is also from God. The problem is we pray to God and then we want man to give us an answer. It's a contradiction. Gabriel told Zechariah, your supplication is heard in Luke 1.13. Remember, as he came to tell him that his Wife Elizabeth was, gonna, was pregnant with the uh, forerunner, John the Baptist. We are to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Paul stated, notice, that prayer is to be accompanied with thanksgiving. The word thanksgiving simply means being thankful, appreciative, recognizing the privilege of being able to come to God in the name of Jesus Christ Realizing God hears our needs and petitions as we receive the answers. But the answer might not be what I expect. I make the petition and God is the one that chooses how to answer. God's will is always the best for us, as you know. We do not thank God for everything. For some things are tragic. Very sorrowful. But we can be thankful in and through everything, knowing that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Romans 8.28 says, when tragedy happens, we're broken, crushed, but we thank God for the strength through it. We ask him for wisdom, direction. We don't allow the circumstance to crush us, destroy us, Suffering at times comes by obeying God, like Jeremiah, like Daniel, Paul, Silas. They were in jail praising God and as they were beat for preaching the gospel in Acts 16, 25 and 1 Peter 4, 19. 
the will of God, 1 Peter 4.19. We are to commend ourselves to a faithful creator in our sufferings, it says. Wow. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, the believer. Now notice the Apostle Paul proclaimed prayer as an approach of trust and confidence in God. Listen to the words, let your requests be made known to God. Paul used the word request. It refers to a specific thing as found three times in the New Testament. The word is used for the Jews' request to crucify Jesus by Pilate in Luke 23, 24. The word is used of the believer's confident request before God in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Listen. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. According to his will. Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. You can't get better than that. Now notice Paul gave a command not to be um, not to a mere exhortation, but a command, not a suggestion. The phrase, let it be known, is one Greek word. It means to give to understand towards God. Not that God does not know, but rather that God wants his children to depend on him and ask. The tense is the imperative present middle voice, each person must do this themselves in the middle voice in the case. No one can do this for you. You must go to God. I must go to God in those difficult times, the times of uncertainty and pressure. Prayer does not change the mind of God nor bend his arm to answer our prayers as we will. Never. He's much wiser than that. Notice Paul stated the believers to go to God, but you... When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly, Matthew 6, 6 says. Words of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16 says, Seeing then that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right now is a time of need through this coronavirus, through just being um, quarantined, isolating ourselves so that there's not much mixture in contact with others that may be carriers. Simple. It's wisdom. I remember Pastor Chuck Smith, the late Pastor Chuck Smith, was once offered uh, by a man million dollars for an investment he had set aside for the Lord's work. But through prayer, Pastor Chuck refused to take the money because as he went to prayer, God told him that he wanted to do the work that no one would be able to glory. So Chuck directed that man to a reliable ministry that he might donate it to. Because if he would have taken it and then the work that God was doing at Costa Mesa, they would have said, oh, it's because this man gave you a million dollars. 
That's the problem with money and with people, though they are well-meaning. So the pastor has to be in tune with God, that he trusts God, no one else, lest others get the glory. Prayer does not imply that the believer does not do anything except prayer. But until we pray, all that we do will amount to nothing. We need to ask God for wisdom during this test of our lives right now regarding this coronavirus. You have because you have not, because you do not ask. James 4.2, very simple. You have not because you ask amiss, that it might be consuming your own flesh, James 4.3. So sometimes we don't ask, other times we ask for the wrong motives, wrong reasons. The evidence of the wisdom of God is demonstrated by our attitude and love. Listen to James 3.17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is the wisdom of God as we pray that he would direct and guide us in our lives for every matter. Prayer and God's answers will develop trust and confidence in God, not in man. They would anoint the high priest's ear, as you know, when they consecrated him to hear the voice of God, the right thumb to do the work of God, and the right big toe to walk in the ways of God, Leviticus 8.24. You have to hear the voice of God to trust it, so do I. For he is believable and reliable. Listen to Psalm 37, 3 through 6. Trust in the Lord Yahweh and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord Yahweh, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord Yahweh. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the the noonday. That's Psalm 37, 3 through 6. He's talking about the wilderness journey and the life after entering the promised land. Giants in the land, difficulty, enemies. But God was able to do that for them. Now prayer will reveal our humble hearts and keep us humble and act like God's children. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Taking him to his feet, leaving him at his feet, and then looking to see how he will direct and guide, and how he will answer. Don't pick him up and take him with you. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cries. Psalm 34, 15 says, now, you know that prayer is in faith, believing God's word and his promises. And James 1, 6 through 8 puts it this way. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is the double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This time of testing, a very difficult time individually, to church-wise, the nation-wise. It's a real difficult thing. You have to rest in God as a believer. You have to pray for others. You have to be an example to your children, to those around you, to the non-believer. So the believers that trust God's loving care by praying about everything, this is the process. You can't escape it. 
If you don't have the process, you're not going to get the, what the third point says, the product. Process equals product. So let's look at the third point. The believer is to experience the peace of God. This is the product. Notice the Apostle Paul declared the powerful insufficiency regarding uh, or sufficiency regarding the peace of God. The insufficiency is guarding our own heart. The sufficiency is giving it to God. And the peace of God will surpass all understanding, it says. Paul is distinguishing the peace of God from the peace with God for our justification. That's in Romans 5.1. This is after you're born again for the difficulties of life, for the difficult circumstances, situations. Peace with God occurs when we trust in Christ for our salvation through the preaching of the gospel. We, we were at war with God. His wrath was upon us, and we made peace by repentance. This was when we believed Jesus died in our place to provide our righteousness that's acceptable to God for our justification. Jesus made peace with God for us. His wrath was, is no longer upon us because we repented. But Paul now is referring to the peace of God. This is what is available to every believer after being born again for every situation, every circumstance that's going to come into life to cause them to worry, to rob them of that joy and that peace. The phrase peace of God is found only this time in the New Testament, evidence of trusting God. This is one of the great benefits to the believer in Christ that comes directly as a result of going to God in prayer. You have to go to him. I have to go to him. The word peace, as you know, means to join or to set at one. It presupposes something previously broken, separated, fractured, uneasy, unsettled. And the name Irene comes from this very word, peace. Now the peace of God joins us and sets us at one with his will and purposes, receiving a strength to rest and endure the situation or circumstance that we're under as we remain trusting him and seeking him so that we are not anxious or worried because his word and his love abides in us. The second manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit after joy is peace in Galatians 5.22. Only one fruit, agape love. Joy is the first manifestation, peace is the second. Now, notice Paul describes the peace of God as surpassing all our understanding. The word understanding speaks of the intellectual faculty and disposition of moral attitude that determines will or action. This is the mind of the natural man, the old man that does not trust God, the old sin nature. We still have it. All means every thought that stands opposed to God's peace through prayer, trusting God. The supernatural peace of God sustains a person against all the rational or reasonable comprehension of the mind regarding the situation and rests in God. The word surpasses means to be above or superior in rank, authority, or power, 
to anxiety. God's supernatural peace allows us to break with the care-ridden mind and be joined to the new mind of Christ by transformation. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you by the mercy of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him which is your reasonable service. And be not fashioned to this world system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is that good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Renewing of your mind. Reason does not always show me the way out. But in fact, at times, magnifies my problem, resulting in greater anxiety and worry. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16, the difference between the natural man and the spiritual man. Now notice here in 7, the apostle Paul declared powerful protection, guarding the peace of God. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul understood that the life of a believer is always involved with spiritual warfare. That's what he's talking about. That's what we're talking about here. That warfare that wants um, uh, my natural mind, mind, my sin nature, wants me to be in charge and to trust me. And the other, the new nature says you trust the Lord. And it's in conflict. The word guard is a military term used for a sentinel. There were um, garrisons in Philippi, remember. So Paul is using this military metaphor. The word is used of the sentinel in Damascus in 2 Corinthians eleven thirty-two. 32. Now notice the peace of God acts as a spiritual warrior guard. Defend and to fight against everything that would attempt to disrupt the peace and the will, and the purpose of God. To not obey God. To not rest in God. And so it's a warfare. But I make the decision to trust God or not. Notice Paul understood that the hearts of the believer's old man is not good, but evil. The word heart here, or hearts in the plural, is literally, uh, in a literal sense, refers to the physical heart. In a literal sense, that physical organ um, is an incredible gift that God gives to us. It pumps all the blood through our body, keeps us alive. Um, but the heart here, again, is used um, in, in, in a physical way that affects us it's the heart, but the, in the spiritual sense, the heart, the new heart that God gives us to trust him. This physical organ carries that oxygen all over our bodies to give oxygen and nutrients that keeps us alive. If we have an unhealthy heart, our life is in jeopardy. And if you have too much trouble, you can die. The word heart cardia here in our text is used figuratively to indicate the center of the inner life of a man or a woman where the intellect, emotions, and the will resides. The center and seat of spiritual life, the center of a person's character, who they really are at heart, because the problem with man is his heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, is deceitful, desperately wicked. We need a new heart. 
This is the usual way the heart is used through the Bible in the spiritual warfare. The disposition of the heart of the natural man in both Old and New Testament is evil, deceitful, desperately wicked. As I said in Jeremiah 79, it's spoken about all over Deuteronomy 10, 16, Matthew 15, 18 through 19, and many, many other areas. Listen to Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life from your heart. You want to make sure that you are walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, so you're drawing from that new heart that God has given to you, to myself, not the old man's heart. Notice Paul understood that the mind of the believer's old man is still evil. Until the day we die, it's their present, that warfare. The warfare minds indicates the mental perception of the thoughts and purposes, the result of the activity of the understanding, the disposition of our moral attitude. Nows is the word. It's related to the thought process based on meditation and reflection. The problem is worry. The process is prayer, and the product is peace. The process equals product. We love the product. We just don't like the process. If you want a good cake, you've got to have the right process, or there's no cake. Now, notice the word for mine. It's used only by Paul, and of the six times it appears in the New Testament, all are in an evil sense except this one time in our text. Only this time is good. Paul understood the peace of God, surpassing all understanding that will guard our hearts, minds, and it comes only through Christ Jesus. That's the key, Christ Jesus. Not psychology, not professional counseling, Jesus, the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, 6. Jesus, the God of Peace, Philippians 4, 9. Jesus, the Lord of Peace, 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Listen to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He trusted the Father to the point of death on the cross. Let this mind be in you. That's the context. Wow. And so anxious time. Jesus sweat as it were drops of blood at the garden as he prayed. A very difficult warfare. Peter was sound asleep, if you remember, chained between two soldiers. He was probably going to be executed by Herod the next day, even as James was put to death. But he was sleeping like a baby. The angel had to awaken Peter as the peace of God that surpassed all understanding was guarding his heart and his mind in Acts 12, 6. He should have been anxious. He was sleeping like a baby. You see, Jesus told Peter that he would not die when he was young, but when he was old. So therefore, he could rest in the Lord, trusting God in spite of the circumstance. Now the peace of God is evidence that I am walking in the Spirit having my ear tuned to God, regardless of the circumstance and situation, as well as you. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The peace of God will unite my heart 
and mine to be stable and depend on God through the situation. Listen again to the scriptures in Colossians 3, 15 and 16. It says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in your heart richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts of the Lord. Wow. These are real people. These are believers going through difficult times in the New Testament. Many of them were persecuted right away because they made a, a, a profession of faith, especially if they were Jews. They were counted as dead, written off. The peace of God will cause me to yield more to God's love, not losing my joy, being strong for life as example to others. Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. We must grow, develop, mature in our spiritual life, brothers and sisters. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4 says, you will, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord Yahweh forever. For in Yah, the Lord Yahweh is everlasting strength. What a great verse. You see, the peace of God will allow me to see what he can and wants to do in my life at that point, under those circumstances, whatever the difficulty may be. Ephesians uh, 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Unto him was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, Jesus Christ. Not myself, not my strength, not my wisdom, but God's. And so the believer is to trust God's loving care by yielding to the peace of God. This is the product. Wow, what a remedy. So Paul has exhorted the believer to trust in God's loving care for them, characterized by the believer. The believer is not to give in to worry the problem. The believer is to pray about everything, the process, and the believer is to experience the peace of God, the product. I cannot think of a better text for you and myself right now during this time of the coronavirus. As you're going through a difficult time financially, perhaps, maybe separate from your family or whatever it may be, you can't gather at church. You just rest in the Lord. Thank God that you can be taught right now over the internet. So God is good. Let me pray. Father, we worship you. We thank you for your grace and love. Be with us, Lord. And Father, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, that you would speak to their hearts, that they would call on your name and repent of their sins and ask you to come into their hearts. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.